It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And this is the weekend mailbag. So, of course, for that, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. Of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, how are you, my friend? Yeah, you know, just uh, over here, big deal in it, getting ready for another exciting weekend uh, and uh, another exciting Jets game, hopefully. Let's hope. I think that the Jets and the Raiders will be an interesting matchup. And Chris, we'll talk a little bit about the keys to the game later on. But first, let's answer some mailbag questions. And we will start with this one from Jesus De La Paz Jr. He says, possible free agent corners like Marcus Peters and Byron Jones. Do you think the Jets are more apprehensive about going after guys like that and giving them big deals? After getting burned by the aforementioned Tremaine Johnson, also has Adam Gase commented about using more two tight end sets to try and help the run game since Wesco can block, or should the media run the idea by Sam first? (laughs) (laughs) So let's address this, Chris, and we'll start with the cornerback situation. Byron Jones is a really interesting name to me. He's a physical freak. Kind of in the mold of what we're seeing from Blessing Austin. He was a first-round pick. And if the Cowboys don't bring him back, it's only going to be because they've paid so many other guys. He's 27 years old, so that's young, but for a corner, he's starting to get to that point where you might be apprehensive about paying him. Marcus Peters is a whole other story. I know he's played well since he's gotten to the Ravens, but that's not a player that I'd be interested in. I just think there's too much baggage there. He's already been chased out of town in a couple of places. There's a lot of questions about him in the locker room. He's caused problems. That's not somebody I'd want. I think Byron Jones is interesting, though, if he hits the free agent market. I think that would be a tempting move for Joe Douglas. He's freaky with his range. He's very athletic, big guy, can cover. I think he might be somebody that Greg Williams would really, really like to have in his defense. As far as Gase and the two tight end sets, it's hard because I understand that Wesco is a better blocker, but Griffin can't block at all, and Demarius Thomas is actually a much better blocker than Griffin, and probably at this point, Wesco too. Wesco may eventually become a better blocker, but Wesco hasn't been anywhere near as good of a blocker as some people have expected him to be yet. He's had his moments. We certainly saw some in the victory on Sunday against the Redskins, but it's tricky. I think you could try to do that 
But I don't think it's as cut and dry as people make it out to be. That if only they would run with two tight ends, all of a sudden the running backs would have more success. I just think that that offensive line is not conducive to the way that Le'Veon Bell runs. They're going to have to make some changes in the offseason. And while I'd be willing to try a bunch of different things, I'm not so sure that the two tight end sets are going to be that helpful to the running game. Yeah, with the uh, let's start with the cornerbacks there. With Marcus Peters, the biggest thing, I agree with everything you said about him, but the biggest thing to me is just the inconsistency with Marcus mm-hmm, Peters. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to get some of that with his style of play because he's a gambler, and I and I love and appreciate that he's a gambler. But he, he was bad in L.A. Um, he was really bad with the Rams. And now he's in Baltimore, and he, he's playing great. Uh, and, you know, he had his ups and downs in Kansas City as well. I love, absolutely loved him coming out of college. And I loved him at first with the Chiefs, but then he started dropping. And to pay big money uh, to somebody like that is – is iffy enough, and then you add in the other concerns. Uh, I I would think that he they'd be scared of that. Byron Jones, I've been talking all all season about this that that would probably be my number one target in free agency, depending on you know if uh, a, a, a offensive lineman shakes free, uh, what offensive lineman? But uh, because number one, you go ahead and you spend money on him, get him, and uh, you can focus your draft attention and capital on the offense. Uh, I think he's a really good player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, he's somebody I would be comfortable paying that money to. I And because you mentioned this, the only reason why it's possible that he could shake free is because Dallas had to pay uh, Zeke, they're going to have to pay their offensive linemen. They're going to have to pay Amari Cooper because of what they traded for Amari Cooper. And they're obviously going to have to pay Dak. So there's so much money. And they've been tight against the cat for years. They just paid Demarcus Lawrence. I just don't know how they're going to be able to justify spending on Byron Jones. So I can legitimately see him shaking free. And it's only because they just can't budget the money for him because of everything else they have. The, now, he, 27 is older than I thought he was because he's still on his rookie contract. Um, he is older than I thought he was, but it's still I, – I, I'd feel confident paying him. You know, the back end of that contract might not be too great, but depending on how the contract works out, how it's laid out, he's somebody I would definitely go after. And, again, cornerback is a position I would try to – address at least getting in the number one corner i would like to address that in free agency so i don't have to worry about drafting somebody i want to spend all that draft capital on offense mostly on the offensive line so byron jones is would be right now at the top of my target list in free agency if it was me um gase has talked about you know using two tight ends uh again in the running game he's talked about it earlier in the season about jumbo sets and all this stuff because they've tried they tried so many different things uh with the running game but they just man this line just isn't that great and this is a thing we saw last week Bilal Powell looked more effective again with the in the run game and I think there might be something to that and there's no way that I'm saying Bilal Powell is a better running back than Le'Veon Bell Mm. Because he's not. Le'Veon Bell is still a excellent running back. 
but Bilal style of just being a one cut running back, just see the hole, hit the hole <clears throat> is probably better suited than Le'Veon Bell's patient style because this offensive line cannot hold their blocks. Mm -hmm. They can get lucky and get a quick block that opens up a quick hole and Bilal will shoot right through that and be able to get something out of it. When Le'Veon's still more trying to dance around and wait for the big hole to open up that they're never opening up. Um, but earlier in the season, he talked about it a lot about trying a bunch of different jumbo things. Now, Gase has talked about lots of things and shown lots of things in preseason training camp that he has, hasn't shown. We saw last week with that 20-yard um, throw to Le'Veon Bell uh, where he lined up wide and uh, they just threw it downfield to him. That's something we've all been calling for more. Um, so we've been seeing Wesco used a little bit more. But again, it can help in some instances, but this offensive line is just – that bad at run blocking that I just don't know how much they can really scheme around it from a blocking standpoint. Uh, you mentioned Griffin's not that great of a blocker. Wesco's still kind of uh, can do a, a better blocker, but he's still got some work to do to get better there. Um, so it can help in some instances, but uh, I still think one of the biggest problems with this offense is they're leaning on the run and trying to run especially in certain situations too much because they just have to realize this, this offensive line is just so bad at run blocking that they're not going to be able to be successful at it. Just to circle back to Byron Jones, last year yeah. he was absolutely outstanding, and it's worth noting that the players voted him as the 97th best player in the league. Now, I know that that list is mostly off reputation, and it's not exactly something to hang your hat on necessarily, but it does show you that the other players value Byron Jones. And if you go and look at a lot of different metrics of coverage, he was excellent last year, and he's been pretty good this year too. So as you said, Chris, if he shakes free, I'm sure that if nothing else, the Jets will be in the running. They may not necessarily be the highest bidder, but I'm sure that Greg Williams would love to have him, and he's somebody that Joe Douglas would identify as a corner that could help solve his problems. And to circle back to what you were just saying about the run game, you heard Jamal Westerman say it on the podcast this week too. He was saying that even though Le'Veon Bell is obviously a better running back than Bilal Pal, Bilal Pal's style fits this offensive line better for the time being. I expect that won't be the case anymore once Joe Douglas makes upgrades on the offensive line in the offseason. But for now, it would probably be a good idea for the Jets to let Bilal Powell have some more touches than he's had throughout the course of the season so far. Let Le'Veon Bell still be the number one ball carrier, but work Bilal Powell in more because that mix and match, that balance will help the running game because you saw it last week against the Redskins. They were having more trouble with Powell than they were with Bell. I think part of it is because they had game plan for Bell and they weren't expecting Powell, but part of it is also because of the style of run that Bilal Powell, as you said, he just gets the ball and goes as opposed to Le'Veon Bell who has that Curtis Martin-like style where he's patient, he waits for the holes to develop and this offensive line can't hold the block, so it's tougher for him. But I think that if you go forward with the two of them splitting carries 
and you even throw in Josh Adams here and there to sprinkle him in and maybe get him ready for a bigger role next season because he's young and he's a guy that Joe Douglas apparently likes. That's something that you could certainly work on down the stretch of the season. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Sebastian Strunk. He says, greetings from Germany from a daily listener. I love that we have listeners in the UK and Germany. It really makes me feel good. I'm glad that there are people, A, that are listening to this show, and B, that there are people that are actually rooting for the Jets internationally. Jamal Adams played an amazing game with 13 pass rush snaps. He made three sacks, but PFF rated him with a pass rush grade of 64.9 and a total grade of 64.1. My question is, what is wrong with PFF? Can I take their grades seriously? The short version of this is no. The long version of this is Chris and I have talked about our problems with PFF before. The long story short is... They don't tell you what goes into the grades. There's no transparency in how they are made. We have no idea who's evaluating them or what they're looking at or what their credentials are. So all of that is a big mess. And if you want a deeper look at this particular problem that you're talking about with Jamal Adams' grade... I suggest you give a listen to yesterday's podcast with Michael Nania where we debuted a brand new segment called What You're Talking About PFF as an homage to the late Gary Coleman from Different Strokes where each week we are going to break down one ridiculous instance of PFF having no explanation for an absurd grade and this week we talked about the one that you just mentioned, the Jamal Adams grade. So that's the short answer to that, but No, you can't trust their grades. I do think that you should listen to that, though, because if nothing else, you'll get a kick out of how Michael and I take apart PFF. Next question comes in from Peter J. Dillard. He says, gentlemen, with all the talk about Jamal, I really don't want to trade him. But my question is, what's been going on with Marcus May? On some plays, he looks like he's making business decisions not to tackle people. 
Also, will next year's draft show us what we need to know about Bam Bam Douglas's ability to evaluate players? Will we know about his GM skills and his draft skills? So let's start with the first part of that. I've noticed that with Marcus May. The last couple of games, he's taken a bit of a step back. I'm not entirely sure what's going on. I don't have any intel on this. I wonder if part of it is that he's playing with a lingering injury because we know with Marcus May, he tends to get hurt a lot. So it could be something where he's banged up and maybe he's not telling the coaches or it's being kept under wraps and it's not super serious, but it's something that he's dealing with. I'm not entirely sure. I think it's something to monitor, though. He certainly started the season very strong, played some of the best football of his career, but he's taken a step back the last few weeks. So I don't really have an answer exactly for what's going on with Marcus May, but I did notice the same thing you did, Peter. As far as the other part of this, I think we're going to start to get a part of the picture with Joe Douglas with this draft. I don't know that one draft is enough to tell you if Joe Douglas is an elite talent evaluator or if he's not cut out for the GM role. Obviously, we know the stories from where he's been previously, especially in Philadelphia and Baltimore, where there's a long list of really productive players that he was responsible for recommending, at least according to the people that I spoke with that cover those teams and who tend to know what's going on within those organizations. I think it'll begin to give you a picture of what to expect from Joe Douglas, how he wants to build this team, what its identity is going to be. I expect a lot of investment in the offensive line. The question is going to be, can he find a way to do what he did in Baltimore and get players like Marshall Yonda? If you remember, third round pick, one of the greatest guards of all time now. I'm not expecting him to necessarily get somebody as good as that, but if he can get quality players like Yonda in the second round, the third round, the fourth round, then we're going to start to see his value as they rebuild this offensive line. And obviously the other part of this is we won't know for sure how good his draft class is for a couple of years because sometimes a draft class doesn't look so good right away and then two years or three years later those guys develop and you say, oh wow, a draft class that we thought was a lost cause all of a sudden has churned out a bunch of useful players and then on the other side of it sometimes you see a draft that immediately looks pretty good but then after a year or two the players that you thought were chipping in have regressed and they're really not that good and then you say okay that draft class wasn't so great so I think that this is a situation where you're going to start to see the beginning of what we can expect from Douglas and we can start to evaluate him but it's not going to be enough to tell us for sure and that's why I'm sure Joe Douglas insisted on a six-year deal because he doesn't want it to be one or two drafts and then they make that determination. Yeah, okay. So with Marcus May, uh, I've noticed a lot of things too, but the one thing that I will always say, and you got to be careful and be hesitant about judging safeties, especially free safeties, off of bro- the broadcast. Because uh, there was times earlier in the season where similar things with Marcus popped out at, to, at me, and then I went back and I looked at the All-22, and I was like, oh, this explains it. And number one, how far back Greg Williams often uses him uh, can play a part in it as well. Now, the last couple of weeks, I, I I went back, I rewatched the Giants game, but on defense, I was really just watching Jamal. Um, Jamal, you can get, you can judge much more off of just the broadcast because he's been playing so close to the line this year that you see all that on the broadcast. With the uh, with uh, Marcus May, with all free safeties, you can't. It's re- really really hard 
borderline impossible to judge them off of uh, the broadcast view. Uh, I have noticed some things the last couple of weeks uh, with Marcus May. Um, I didn't go back uh, this week is kind of crazy. So I didn't get to go back and watch. Uh, but I did make a note uh, as I was watching the game to look at this. So it is something that I will. I'll probably go back uh, either later today or tomorrow and take a look at it. And I'll have a better answer for you. Um, but there is uh, sometimes it's the angle and sometimes that's, uh, because of how far start he backs, he is it, like uh, you think back to earlier in the season when they played Cleveland and Odell had that huge run and everyone was crushing Marcus May for that. Well, he was so far back and Odell had such a wide open field that whatever direction Marcus May had a guess and whatever direction he guessed, the Odell had more than enough room to go ahead and make a play. So if you watch the All-22, sometimes that stuff will pop out and you can see and understand it. I'm not saying that that is necessarily the case the last couple of weeks because, like I said, I haven't gone back and, and looked at them yet, but I will. But there, it, I, there has been some things that have popped out to me, and it doesn't seem like he's been playing as great these last couple of weeks. I just don't have the answer to it because, like I said, I haven't gone back and looked at him specifically there. As far as um, with Joe Douglas, what this next draft will tell us, I think mostly what this next draft will tell us about Joe Douglas is really his team-building philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, as you said, <clears throat> it's going to take a while for us to know how the players pan out. There's also – got to factor in that this team has so many holes that, like, it's – you know, it's going to be hard to really accurately judge him um, just off of this because they got so many holes to fill and so many needs that need to be replaced. Um, so it, it's a he's got a really tough job ahead of him. But it will tell us more about his philosophy. And a lot of that, again, we already know. I've been telling you since before he even got hired – He's an offensive line guy, believes in the trenches. He's going to go hard after the offensive line. It's going to tell us more what he values most, what he puts the biggest emphasis on, because this year he's going to look at, to address building blocks. <clears throat> so that's going to tell us a lot about Joe Douglas. Now, as far as using one draft to judge a GM, is not going to tell you a lot about his evaluation skills. He's going to need more than that. But what it will tell you about is his philosophy as far as team building, what's most valuable to building a team, what's most important. You've got the quarterback, so you're going to need to address the offensive line. You're going to need to probably get, get him a receiver, especially in a, a receiver class this good, might be the best receiver class in the history of time. Um, and that's not hyperbole. This receiver class is that goddamn good. Um, so you're going to see that that what that's what this off season and free agency and the draft is going to tell us about Joe Douglas. It's going to tell us about his philosophy and team building values way more than it is about his skills as an evaluator. That takes more time.
Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from John Flesh, and there's a follow-up to this from Gus Toon. He says, has Gase finally realized that Bell is a dangerous receiving weapon, especially out of the slot, and that Powell is and always has been a quality running back who needed more touches? Was this newfound creativity on offense a result of Sam Darnold's recent conversation with Gase, or did Gase suddenly have an epiphany? Gus Toon follows up with, I would like to add further to this, if a different running style like that of Powell, Montgomery, and Adams is going to be more effective, do you think this paves the way for Lev Bell's exit at the end of the season? So let's start with John's part of this question. I think that this is something that Adam Gase probably stumbled his way into. He probably started to finally realize that Bell was having trouble behind this line, and he gave Powell a carry or two, And it worked, so he just kind of kept going with it, and it kept working. He had seven carries for 42 yards. That's successful. That's six yards a carry. I expect him to get more carries this week against the Raiders. I don't know that it's a product of his discussion with Sam Darnold. I could be wrong, but I don't think Sam Darnold was in there pounding the table for Bilal Powell. He may have been, but not anything I've heard. So I think it's probably just something that Gase sort of stumbled his way into, As far as understanding that Lev Bell's a good receiving weapon out of the slot, they only went to him once. I'd like to see them do it more. I'm hoping that they will against Oakland. I'm not sure if that was something that Darnold would have suggested or that Gase came up with on his own, but that is something that I think that Darnold might have suggested because it seems like something he would have liked to try. As far as what Gus asked here, whether or not this could pave the way for Le'Veon Bell's exit, Here's the deal. I think the Jets would very much consider trading Le'Veon Bell in the offseason if they could get a decent draft pick because he's due to make $15 million and they may feel that those assets could be better used somewhere else. But the problem is going to be finding somebody that's willing to take on that $15 million. Now, if you're a team that is very close and you think that you're running back away, $15 million on a glorified one-year deal because after that, the cap hit is completely negligible. That might be a decent acquisition for you, but the question is, what is it that you're willing to give up, especially coming off what will probably end up being Le'Veon Bell's worst season of his career? Again, we all know it's not really his fault, but it is what it is. So I think that the Jets would certainly be interested in trading Bell if they could get a decent offer because he'll be 28, making a lot of money. And Douglas and Gase would probably think that they could take that money and use it on someone else. For example, that $15 million could be used to go towards Byron Jones or Brandon Scherf or Yannick Ngakwe, players that I'm sure we're going to be talking about, especially if they do end up hitting the free agent market. But the question is going to be, can they get a team to give them anything of even reasonable value? for him I'm not so sure that that would happen there's there's absolutely no chance that Sam Darnold went to Adam Gase and said hey we need to get Bill Alpow more touches instead of Le'Veon zero chance that that's what happened there is definitely a a a greater than good chance that he might have suggested hey 
I'd like to throw the ball to Le'Veon Bell more. That <laughs> that's possible. That I could see happening. But there's no way that Sam Darnold went to Adam Gase and said, Get, "Take away playing time from one of these players." There's, there's zero chance that that's what happened. Um, but he very well could have said, "Hey, I'd like to use him more in the passing game." Uh, you know, I think that, and that's especially. I want to be very clear about this when I'm saying that maybe give uh, Blau Pal more touches in the run game. This is not in any way suggesting to take even a snap away from Le'Veon Bell because every time I'd have uh, a run play called for Blau Pal, I would probably want to have Le'Veon Bell out there as well, just as in a lined up as receiver. Um, and I would use Le'Veon Bell as a receiver in a passing game with Bilal Powell. Because here's the other thing, Bilal Powell is an excellent pass blocker as well. Uh, both of them are. So you could really just flip and rotate and like, yeah. So I, I'm not advocating taking away snaps from Le'Veon Bell. Just use him more as receiver and give Bilal Powell some more runs. One thing I will say, the, the first reader said, you know, Bilal Powell – uh, is often underused. I, I'd object to that over his career. Uh, fans have always been saying that, but there's a reason why there's a limit on his touches all the time, and it's because he's a smaller guy and he has injury concerns. So throughout the course of his year uh, of his career, I would argue I'd push back on the notion that he was underused because using him more there. There's a you know it, it'll his effectiveness and he uh, create the likeliness of injury using him more this year. He could obviously be used more. And again, that's because of the offensive line and his running style. It just seems to match up a lot better. So I do think that that's something that I would do. It's something we, again, we saw him a uh, training camp that we have been perplexed and baffled why we haven't seen more of Le'Veon Bell out wide. Um, as far as Le'Veon Bell getting traded, I do think the Jets would absolutely entertain that, and I don't think that has anything to do with how this year has gone. I think that's just Joe Douglas and Adam Gase would both prefer to use that money elsewhere. But they're not going to just settle and trade him for just like sixth-round pick or something like that. So if they can feel like, you know, maybe they'd settle for during the draft <clears throat> in the we're in the third round – and there's an offensive lineman that Joe Douglas really likes. And let's just say the Chiefs come calling and say, hey, we'll give you our third for Le'Veon Bell. And Joe Douglas saying, well, I can get this offensive lineman. Then maybe I think he'd do that. But I, they're not just going to just here, just take this, give us a six-round pick just to take him off our hands. The reason why I say this year isn't going to have an impact on it is because if Joe Douglas gets to – a acquire two or three new offensive linemen and build this offensive lineman how he wants, then all of a sudden Le'Veon Bell could be a much better fit for this offensive line. So I don't think that comes into it. I just think it's that they would rather allocate that money somewhere else. But it's going to be tricky because there's not a lot of teams that are going to want to do that. Like you said, it's going to have to be a playoff team looking at a Super Bowl Maybe the Chiefs think they can do it. Now, I know the Chiefs have given up a lot, so I'm not sure what they have left. I'll have to look into that. But that's a team that would seem to make sense for me. Uh, I could see them doing it again, but it, it's not going to be just, hey, just take them off our hands. 
I definitely think the Jets may want to reallocate their resources away from Le'Veon Bell next season, but you should be allocating your resources towards going to the game tomorrow because all of a sudden it looks like the Jets are on the right track and they very well may have a chance to win this thing. In fact, I'd say they have a pretty good chance which makes attending the game in person that much more fun. Always a good time when you buy tickets for a game and you think that the team has a real chance to win. And if you're going to go to the game, you want to get yourself some great tickets. And the best place to do that is at the Vivid Seats mobile app. You can get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase when you use the promo code OVERTIME. You can use that code to buy yourself tickets for the Jets and the Raiders game this Sunday or any other event that's coming to town. The Radio City Christmas Spectacular is coming to town. There's wrestling shows, concerts, other sporting events, hockey and basketball, and so much more. You can get tickets for yourself, or you can go ahead and buy tickets as Christmas presents. Don't worry. Won't tell anybody that you're getting their presents at a bit of a discount. Get a great deal on great seats right now when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and use the promo code Overtime. You get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. Next question comes in from Tommy Griffincrantz. He says, any clarification as to if it's common practice for teams to post player fines in the locker room? I spoke to Jamal Westerman about this on the podcast the other day, and he said he's never been on a team where that has happened. He said he can only speak to his experience, but he's never seen it. You heard Kelvin Beecham, who's been in the league eight years and been on three different teams with a whole bunch of different coaches, say that he's never seen it. I haven't surveyed other players around the league, but I'm going to use that as a fairly safe barometer to say that I don't think that it's something that's done a lot. I know that Gase did it in Miami. I would imagine that was part of why a lot of the players were upset with him, one of many reasons why they didn't like his style. So my answer would be, I can't tell you definitively, but just based on the small sample size of people that we've heard from about this, it doesn't sound like it's common practice. Chris, you've been covering this team for about a decade, and you've talked to a ton of players. Is this anything you've ever heard of somebody doing? It is 100% not a common practice. Now, at the same time, from what I've gathered, it is he is Adam Gase is not the only one to ever do this. It's not, uh, but it is definitely not common. Um, more players that I've talked to have said they have never, uh, even heard of it, uh, than have said that they, that they've heard of it, but it's, it, from what I've gathered, it's not like Adam Gase is the only coach to ever employ this. Um, the, the thing is, it's just, it comes across and the players often feel like this, that you're trying to embarrass and shame the players kind of. And th these are grown men. These are adults. They don't, they don't like being treated like this. No human being would like to have their business out there. Like, you know, Quince, we'll just use the Quincy ones, $20,000. Nobody wants that posted for all their teammates to see. And like that, that's losing to, I don't care how much money you have to get hit for $20,000 fines going to hurt. And then to have it broadcast for for everybody in the building to see just seems unnecessary. And it seems like you're trying to use them to make a point and try to embarrass and shame them. And players don't like that. And I get it and understand it. Uh, you know, imagine we always talk about don't use your workplace as a comparison to the NFL. <clears throat> but imagine if you, you went into your office and there's a board at there and everyone's fine, you know, 
not twenty thousand dollars because people don't make as much money, but there's still like a seven hundred dollar fine for everybody to see, and then you're getting ragged on it, hearing about it from other teammates. Nobody wants that. Nobody likes that. So he did use that in Miami. That is definitely a part of the reason why people soured on him and weren't fans of Miami. It wasn't just that. Um, But, yeah, it's it's definitely not a common practice because most players I've talked to have said they have never even heard of stuff like this. But I, I, I did get a couple players that have said that they've heard this. They know it is a thing that other coaches do uh, do on occasion. But it's just – it's always and shown in that same light where it feels comes off like the the coach is trying to embarrass and shame the players, and that's just not a good uh, way to go about things. Chris, I want to end the show now talking about a little something different. I want to talk about Alan Schechter, who passed away recently, and I talked a little bit about this on Twitter, and I tweeted out the link to the GoFundMe, and again. If you have a few dollars that you can contribute to help for the medical expenses for Alan's widow, that's awesome. And as I've said before, anybody that contributes and sends a screenshot to me will be eligible to be a guest host on a future episode of Play Like a Jet or appear on an episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast with Joe Caparoso. No pressure, though. I know that everybody's got their own bills to pay, so please do not feel obligated. I did mention this on Twitter But I wanted to talk about it a little bit more on the podcast because I think it's a lot harder to send out some long tweet and an essay tweet or some long thread like that. My experience with Alan is that when I first started this show, he was a huge fan of it because originally it started as just a history show. And we're going to get back to the history shows in the offseason as well. We've got some cool ones coming up. But this is now morphed into a daily show, so it's kind of different. And I was starting to work on some more ambitious projects because it's one thing to research a season. It's another thing to research a player's career. You're talking about eight years worth of material. And if you have other obligations, it's impossible to do this all on your own. So I reached out to Alan and I said, hey, Alan, I really like your work. At the time, he had been writing for Fan Sided, and I know that he had done a lot of stuff for Jet Press, but I was impressed with his research skills. And I asked him if he would be willing to come in and help me research some of these more ambitious projects when we were going to have guys on to do really in-depth looks at their careers and go into areas that were going to require a ton of work and a ton of research. And without any hesitation, Alan said, yeah, absolutely. I'm totally interested. Let's do it. And at first it was weird because Alan was really shy to talk to a lot of these people as far as booking guests, as far as reaching out, as far as trying to make contact with people. He wasn't sure how to approach it. So I kind of molded him in that regard. I taught him what to do. I would give him pointers on how to approach people via Twitter, via email, via phone. And all of a sudden, he came out of his shell and he just got all excited and he was looking for everybody he could find to try and get on the show. And we got some great guests because of Alan. I still think that the best guest that we've had on this show and the most important one and somebody that I'm going to be hopefully working on a project with down the line is the legendary Wesley Walker. He did an incredible interview that ended up being 10 parts, and he talked about things that he's never talked about publicly before, and a lot of that was because of Alan. Alan was the one that was able to get him to come on the show, 
Alan was the one that did a lot of the research that I had at my disposal when we did the interview. Alan was a big part of the reason why Wesley felt comfortable talking to me in the first place. And there were a lot of instances like that one. But as time went on, Alan and I began to talk on a daily basis. And this went on for over two years. We would talk about everything. We would talk about the Jets. We would talk about the show. We would talk about comedy. We would talk about music. And it's weird because, Chris, you and I are the same age. So we remember a time when you didn't have people that you became really close friends with without ever actually meeting them, or even if you only, say, met them once or twice in person. That just wasn't something that you could really do. It started to come about a little bit once you had AOL Instant Messenger, and then you had MySpace and stuff like that. But really, for the bulk of our years as youths, that wasn't really anything that you were able to do. But that's what social media has done, and it's made a show like this possible because of all the people that I've been able to come in contact with, and Alan was one of them. And this show would never have been able to grow into what it's become and what I hope it continues to build upon and become going forward without Alan. He was such a warm-hearted person. He loved this show and being a part of this show. He loved doing the stuff that he did at Jet Press and Empire Rights Back and then working with you, Chris, at JetsInsider.com because Alan had this chronic condition for about seven years. At least that's what he knew of. I don't know how long he actually had it, but he had known he had it for seven years. And it was a heart problem that basically made it very difficult for him to function. And it got to the point where he could barely walk on his own. He needed a walker. He needed a cane. And then at one point, he needed a wheelchair. And he worked a job that he really just didn't like. He did it because he needed to earn money. But as I said on Twitter, all he ever wanted to do was talk about sports and write about sports. And what he really wished he could have been was Rich Semini. That's all he ever wanted to be. And I said that to Rich Semini on Twitter. And to Rich's credit, whatever you want to say about Rich, he was always so kind to Alan and took Alan under his wing and they became friends and Rich sort of was a bit of a mentor to him. And Alan used to joke that he hoped that when Rich retired from the beat that Rich would let him take his spot on the Jets beat because that's really all Alan ever wanted to do. I remember how excited he was, Chris, when you told him that you were going to be able to let him go to Jets camp in your place and cover the team. He was like a kid at Christmas. It was incredible. He just loved that stuff so much. And there were so many fun stories with him. I'll tell a couple of them. One of them <laughs> was the Calvin Anderson story, and this is why I used to refer to Alan as the president of the Calvin Anderson fan club. Chris, you know this story, but Ooh. Alan had a nephew that he absolutely adored, and he didn't have any children of his own, but he treated his nephew like he was his own kid, and he would take him to games and to practices, and he actually helped turn his nephew into a Jets fan, which... Alan, rest your soul. I wish you hadn't done that to the poor kid. <laughs> so he brought him to training camp and he met Connie Carberg, who I absolutely love. And she's another person that I have yet to meet in person, but I feel like I've known forever. She's the best. I always say that she's like the awesome aunt that I never got to have. And he got to meet her. And then his nephew was wearing a Le'Veon Bell jersey and he held up the Le'Veon Bell jersey for this player to sign. The player held his nephew up and he was so happy and he tweeted out about it and he tagged Le'Veon Bell and then he texted me and I forget where I was at the time but he texted me and he said check this out 
Got Le'Veon Bell's autograph from my nephew on his jersey. How amazing is this? What a guy. And I looked at the picture and I texted Alan back and I said, Alan, that's not Le'Veon Bell, buddy. And he said, what do you mean? I said, dude, that's not Le'Veon Bell. Doesn't look anything like him. He's like, what? He signed the Le'Veon Bell jersey. Why would he lie? I'm like, well, did he tell you he was Le'Veon Bell? He's like, no, but he didn't say anything when I called him Mr. Bell. I'm like, yeah, I guess, but there's a lot going on. He didn't say he was Le'Veon Bell, did he? He goes, no, but why would he lie to a little kid? What a mean thing to do. I said, Alan, I don't think he lied, man. I think that he just didn't correct you when you said what you said. I don't know if he heard it or what. He said, oh, no, no, no. And then, of course, this made its way to Calvin Anderson, who was the person that was actually in the picture that Alan thought was Le'Veon Bell. And he quote tweeted and said, trying to think of how to tell my man what's really going on here. And I laughed. And Alan was so upset about it. And he's like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm going to check the jersey. I could swear Le'Veon Bell signed it. And then he texted me back and he said, damn it, it was Calvin Anderson. So that became an inside joke. And then I would refer to him as the president of the Calvin Anderson fan club. I remember I was out late one night and I was driving home. This was the day that Le'Veon Bell signed with the Jets. And the first text that I got when Le'Veon Bell signed was from Allen. And it just said, I can't believe it. Somebody good actually picked the Jets on purpose. And he was so happy. And you know, when Allen passed away, he got an acknowledgement from the Jets themselves in their social media account. And all I could think about was, it's so sad that Allen didn't get a chance to see that because I can't tell you how much it would have meant to him to have the Jets acknowledge him that way. Because like I said, Allen was all about family. He was about music. He was a very talented classical musician. And he used to give me crap because he said, oh, that rock and roll, that's not really music. And it sounded like your great grandpa yelling and screaming about rock and roll being the devil's music. But he really did love the classical music and he was super talented. And he just loved talking about and writing about his favorite sports teams, most notably the Jets and the Mets. And I remember when he was at Fansided and he was looking to leave because he felt like he wasn't doing enough Jets work and he just wanted to do Jets stuff. And I remember, Chris, when you first bought the site, Alan said to me, you got to talk to Nimbly about me coming in and helping him on the site because I want to get out of where I am. I want to do more jet stuff. You got to talk to Nimbly. So I said, sure. So I brought it up to you, Chris, and you said, I'm still kind of getting situated right now. I don't really know what's going on because I just bought the site. And Alan, to his credit, and I think a lot of this is something that he learned when he was producing the show because I taught him that if you want to get a guest booked, you got to stay on them because a lot of these people are busy and they forget. He stayed on you. He was very persistent and he won you over. And once you had your stuff together, you did bring him in as the deputy editor. And I'm going to bring you in in a second just to talk about what your brief time working with him was like. But I feel blessed that I had... Alan in my life for a relatively short period of time. It was two plus years. And like I said, we became pretty close, even though we never actually met up in person. And it's sad because we almost did a whole bunch of times. We were supposed to, and then something would always come up and we would always say, ah, no big deal next time. And I guess, unfortunately, we ran out of next times. When Alan's wife texted me a couple of weeks ago after he had fallen a couple of times, over the weekend, and he was going into the hospital, I thought it was going to be the typical situation with him because he'd gone through this a few times, and he'd come out of it the other side okay, and he would go home, and he would be in pain, or it would be a struggle, but he would make it through. 
And so as time went on and he stayed there for longer and longer, it just seemed like maybe it was different this time. And then I remember his wife updating me and it wasn't sounding great. And then a couple of days before he passed away, she told me that she had signed a DNR, which is obviously a terrible sign. But Alan, and a lot of people don't know this, had cheated death before. There was a time a couple of years ago where his doctors told his wife to start making arrangements and Alan pulled through. So I was hoping that he'd be able to do that. And she texted me the next day and said, he's awake and he's trying to talk. And now all of a sudden, maybe he had turned things around. And then the next day in the afternoon, and this is when I went on Twitter to tell everybody, I got the text from her informing me that Alan didn't make it. And I just want to say that I got to work with him on pretty much a daily basis. I got to know him really well, despite never meeting him in person. And he was such a great guy, such a passionate sports fan, loved his family so much. And he really was so grateful to anybody that would give him opportunities, to anybody that would read his work, to anybody that would spend any time talking to him about sports sharing conversation, sharing a laugh. I can't really express in words, I'm trying to here, just how good of a guy he was. And anybody that knew him, that came across him either in a work setting or just in casual conversation knows. I mean, Nick Spano from U Stadium was talking to me about this and Alan had told me this story, but Alan met Rich Semini at an event that had been organized by Nick when Nick was doing a Jets radio show. This was before podcasts and everything, and Alan was a huge fan of the show, super supportive, and they had a flag football event where Santonio Holmes was there, and Alan just really wanted to meet Santonio Holmes. And so Nick, of course, made sure that he got Alan to meet Santonio Holmes, and he introduced him to Rich Semini, who again, like I said, Rich Semini in a lot of ways was a hero to him because Rich was everything that Alan wanted to be. He wanted to be able to cover one of his sports teams full time. And I'm just sad that it never happened for him, but I am glad that he was able to put out so much work and that he was able to have so much fun doing the stuff that he did. And I also am glad that he was able to connect with people like me and people like Nick and people like you, Chris, and so many others that encountered him, either working with him or on Twitter or in person at Jets camp or whatever it was. But whatever your memories are of Alan, I'm sure that they're positive because I've never met or spoken with a single person that had anything bad to say about Alan, not a single one. And that's rare. And I think that that's something that shows you the type of person that he really was. So I know that I went on talking about this for a while, but I just really wanted to put that out there because I felt like I owed it to Alan to express that. And I also feel like I owe it to Alan to help his widow be able to pay those bills that were left after he passed away. So like I said, no pressure, none at all. But if you have a few bucks to spare, if you want, the GoFundMe is over on my Twitter. And if you can't find the tweet, just tweet at me and I'm happy to send you the link. If you have a few bucks and you can contribute, that's great. Everybody has done great so far. Last I looked, we're at 8,500 of the 20,000, so we're making headway here. So if you have a few bucks, great. Don't feel pressured. If you don't, it's okay. But if you do and you send me a screenshot, one person will be picked 
to be a guest host on Play Like a Jet at some point and a guest on the Turn on the Jets podcast at some point as well. A really great guy, and I hope that we can continue to honor his memory in our coverage of the Jets on this podcast every single day. Alan may be gone, but his memory is going to be with us, and he may be gone from this earth, but he's going to live on in our hearts and minds. Yeah, I... The going, you know, asking people to donate money or anything is not something I ever like to do. But obviously, Alan had a bunch of medical bills and uh, payments. I I didn't know Alan Alan nearly as well as you. I just recently started getting to know him. Uh, But I know that he was dealing with a pile of medical bills before all this happened. And now on top of this, his his poor wife is going to have to be left to clean up the mess of all this and really going to struggle. So obviously we understand if you can't, but if you can, even if it's just a couple of dollars, it would be a huge help for her and, and their family. And it's obviously he was young guy, still uh, way too young to be, to uh, lose a life and everything. Uh, it's a sad story, but he was a really good guy who uh, from what I know of him and he absolutely loved the jets and just love talking about them. Everything that you said is absolutely true. Um, so if if you have a couple dollars, it would be great if you could find the link on either of our Twitter pages, or as Scott said, we'll be happy to send the link to you. There's really no amount that's too small, so that, that would be great. But we understand people money's tight for a lot of people. So if you can't, you can't. But if you if you can spare a few bucks, that would be great. Uh, it, it would go a long way to helping his wife and his family try to uh, climb out of this hole. And I feel like that's a good way to end this podcast, honoring Alan's memory. We talked a lot of Jets, and that's what Alan loved to do. He loved to talk Jets. He loved to write about the Jets. Anything involving the Jets, he truly loved it. In fact, his wife, Stacy told me in a text that she wanted me to keep updating people on Jets Twitter because it was important to Alan that everybody knew that no matter what was going on in his life, he would never, ever abandon his Jets. And so I want you to remember Alan as that kind soul that loved the Jets, that loved his family, and that was kind to everybody. And like Chris said, if you have a few bucks, that's awesome. If you don't, that's okay, too. I just want, but above all else, I want to make sure that you remember Alan for the great guy that he truly was. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. As always, really appreciate it. I know you've got a lot of stuff up over at JetsInsider.com getting ready for this Raiders game. And I know you're going to have plenty of material up after the game as well that fans are going to want to sink their teeth into. So why don't you give us a little preview? What do you got going on over at JetsInsider.com? Yeah, well, this week was a little crazy, so I don't have too uh, uh, much up there now. But uh, like I said, I think that this game against the Raiders is going to be uh, a, a excellent barometer on tell us where the Jets are. So after this game, I will be doing a whole lot to really try to see. You know, we've been talking about how much better the offense looks uh, these last couple weeks, but what what they're going to look like against a, a better defense and against a better offense. So we'll have a lot. Of a lot of stuff up there, uh, following the game, breaking everything down from there, and then I'm gonna be I, I, from just listening to the questions we got in this mailbag. I feel like there is a lot of draft content people want to put out there, <laughs> so I think I'm gonna get a get a good head start on that. Maybe later today or tomorrow, I'll I'll post something there. Just a couple different things. Uh, 
I talked a lot about this receiver class, so maybe I'll go in depth there more and mention the offensive line. So there will be a bunch of good stuff up there in these next uh, few days to week. Go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.